I'd like you to take your copy of God's Word and find the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Today, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Thank you, Regen Choir, for singing. I was back there in the back. I heard you. It was awesome. Regen Choir adds to our Sunday night service week after week after week. We thank God for them. And I was trying to eavesdrop on the Joyful Noise Choir from the baptistry. Um, what a blessing to have so many ages singing the praises of our God and our Savior and our King. As you know, I read a lot. I read very few novels. But some years ago, one of my family members, I don't recall just who, gave me a copy of John Grisham's novel entitled, The Testament. This is how it begins. Down to the last day, even the last hour now, I'm an old man, lonely and unloved, sick and hurting and tired of living I'm ready for the hereafter. It has to be better than this. I own the tall glass building in which I sit and 97% of the company housed in it below me and the land around it a half mile in three directions and the 2,000 people who work here and the other 20,000 who do not. I own the pipeline under the land that brings gas to the building from my fields in Texas and I own the utility line that delivers electricity. And I lease the satellite unseen miles above by which I once barked commands to my empire flung far around the world. My assets exceed $11 billion. I own silver in Nevada and copper in Montana and coffee in Kenya and coal in Angola and rubber in Malaysia and natural gas in Texas and crude oil in Indonesia and steel in China. My company owns companies that produce electricity and make computers and build dams and print paperbacks and broadcast signals to my network. I have subsidiaries with divisions in more countries than anyone can find. I once saw all the appropriate toys the yachts and jets and blondes, the homes in Europe, the farms in Argentina, an island in the Pacific, thoroughbreds, even a hockey team. But I've grown too old for toys. The money is the root of my misery. I've had three families, three ex-wives who bore seven children, six of whom are still alive and doing all they can to torment me. To the best of my knowledge, I fathered all seven and buried one. I should say his mother buried him. I was out of the country. I'm estranged from all the wives and all the children. They're gathering here today because I am dying. It is time to divide the money. Whether rich or poor, this is how life ends. With the dead leaving it all behind, and the living standing around waiting to divide up what we leave behind. With the living not always satisfied with their portion of the inheritance. 
This morning, I want you to think with me about this subject, the tragedy of a rich fool. Jesus told a story about a fool. And we read about it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning with verse 13 and continuing through verse 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is to the Lord Jesus, teacher or rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Then he said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, I have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to me, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You and I have a choice to make with the material possessions that come our way. We can store up things for ourselves and lose them for eternity or we can store them up in this life for God and have them forever. This is truly a a tragic tale. It is the tragic tale of a rich man whom Jesus said was a fool. Now in this passage for our consideration this morning, we have first a solemn warning, and then second, a life-giving principle, and then third, a timeless parable. Let's look first of all in verses 13, 14 in the first part of verse 15 at the solemn warning. And here it is. Number one, a solemn warning. Greed is a subtle temptation which will destroy you. So beware. It bears repeating. Greed is a subtle temptation. It's not like so many temptations that come our way that are obvious, that are in your face. This is a subtle temptation. Uh, we're surrounded by the temptation to accumulate more and more and more of the things of this world. In, in fact, uh, we would say that's the American way. That's the American dream. The American dream is spelled M-O-R-E, more. So whatever else I have, I always need more. That's how we fulfill the American dream. And Jesus comes and speaks counterculturally against this desire to accumulate more and more of the things of this world. And Jesus says, be on your guard against this subtle temptation of greed, for it will destroy you. Now, let's look back in the text. Jesus, in the early part of Luke chapter 12, had been given a series of warnings 
and encouragements. And in 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this brother was the younger brother. Text doesn't say that, but we know that from the social customs of that day, uh, that uh, usually the older brother received uh, maybe if not all of the inheritance, the greater portion of an inheritance. And the younger brother apparently had not received any portion of his inheritance and he was, uh, he was uh, upset with his older brother. And so he asked Jesus to arbitrate between them. Tell my brother to divide this inheritance with me. I, I want my fair share, would you help me get it? Well, here they are at this impasse. And what is Jesus going to do? Well, Jesus recognizes that both the brother who speaks and the brother who's not speaking, who's not in the picture here, are greedy. They both want the things of this world. And here is a family at loggerheads with one another. Now, this scene has been played out multitudes of times across uh, the centuries of human history. The last uh, member of a family dies, the, the mother or the father, the last one to go, and the siblings gather together, uh, uh, sometimes just in the family home to distribute the, uh, the furniture, the silverware, the dishes, the autos, the real estate, the bonds, the stocks, the certificates, the deposit, all the things that have accumulated, or sometimes it takes place in an attorney's office for the reading of the will, but brothers and sisters in the same family come together to get their share of what's been left behind. And oftentimes families are divided forever after that because somebody felt like that he or she didn't get what he or she wanted. How tragic is that? To sever biological family relationships because your brother or your sister got something that you didn't get. Now, notice what Jesus did here in verse 14. Notice his response. Man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you or between you and your brother. In other words, Jesus said, I, I'm not going to get in this one. I, I didn't come from heaven to earth to settle the, 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 the quarrels and the squabbles between two or more greedy people trying to hang on to the things of this world. But why did Jesus come? Well, if you'll turn over just a few pages to, to uh, Luke chapter 19, we'll just look at it for ourselves. Luke chapter 19, uh, there Jesus had an encounter with Zacchaeus. And uh, Zacchaeus was a dishonest and wealthy tax collector. And when he encountered Jesus, he was, he was transformed. In verse 8, Zacchaeus said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus had been living for the accumulation of wealth. But when he had a an encounter with Jesus, his life was transformed. He got a different perspective. He got a different outlook. And now he's willing to give away half of his possessions. And verse 9, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, 
Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. And then verse 10, and for the son of man came to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus did not come to settle disputes between warring family members. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. And what was lost was Zacchaeus. And not just Zacchaeus, but every one of us, the descendants of Adam, every one of us have been born into this world with a sinful Adamic nature. And our sins are so great that there's no way we could gain right standing with God by our own efforts. It is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, that a guilty sinner can be made right with God. And in this room today, there are just two kinds of people, the saved and the lost. Those who know Christ and those who need to know Christ. Those who humble themselves before the Lord and ask Jesus to save them, forgive them of their sins. And those who have yet to do that but desperately need to do that. And our sins may be forgiven, not just because of the love of God. God is love. But our sins may be forgiven because the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's cross. For on the cross, Jesus bore in his body the righteous wrath of a holy God against guilty humanity, that all who trust in him, in his finished work on the cross, can be reconciled to God. That's why Jesus came. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. He came on a rescue mission. This world is not our home. So Jesus refused to help. Now let's go back to Luke chapter uh, chapter uh, 12. And uh, there we, we see in verse 15, the solemn warning. I said that, that uh, the first thing we're going to see is a solemn warning. And here it is. Greed is a subtle temptation, which will destroy you. So beware, beware. Listen, I for one believe that the love of the things of this world the love of money and, those, and, and that which money will buy is the blind spot in the 21st century evangelical church. We don't see it. And I almost think you almost have to travel to the developing world to see it. But if you have spiritual eyes to see, you can see it right here in the Bible. Now look in verse 15. Here's, here's the solemn warning. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Uh, greed is a real temptation. Uh, greed is a subtle temptation. And greed will destroy. It will destroy your joy. It will destroy your peace. It will destroy your happiness. It will destroy your contentment. So Jesus says, beware be on your watch. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. It begins right there. We set our affections on the things of this world as opposed to setting our affections on the things of God. Furthermore, according to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians Christian, Christians in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, greed is idolatry. Listen to this. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ 
and of God. G Paul said that greed is on the par with idolatry. Adam Hamilton said it well when he wrote, inside us there's a brokenness. The Bible calls it sin. Our souls were created in the image of God, but they have been distorted. We were meant to desire God, but we have turned that desire toward possessions. We were meant to find our security in God, but we find it in amassing wealth. We were meant to love people, but instead we compete with them. We were meant to enjoy the simple pleasures of life, but we busy ourselves with pursuing money and things. We were meant to be generous and to share with those in need, and, but we selfishly hoard our resources for ourselves. There is a sin nature within us, and it is bent toward greed. And Jesus gives a solemn warning. Watch out. Be on your guard. That's a warning for me. It's a warning for you. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. When all these commercials come your way, telling you that you need the latest whatever, be on your guard. But not only is there a solemn warning that we find in this text, but number two, I want you to see in the latter part of verse 15, there's a life-giving principle here that Jesus gives us, a life-giving principle. Here it is. Success in life is not measured by the accumulation of wealth. Now, the folks on Madison Avenue in New York City who control the advertising nationwide would tell us that that's how you measure success is by the accumulation of wealth and the things that money can buy. So just more and more and more. And if you have more than your neighbor does and you're more successful than he, and if you have less than he has, then you're not as successful as he, so you need to get more so you can be as successful as your neighbor and perhaps get more than him so he can have, you can be more successful than your neighbor. It's a vicious cycle and it never delivers contentment. Never has, never will because we have not been made by God to be satisfied in the gifts of God. We've been made by God to be satisfied by God himself. Jesus is the treasure above all treasures. Look at the latter part of verse 15 again. Here it is. Here's the, here's the life-giving principle from Jesus. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do you believe Jesus or not? When will we learn that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions? Some of the most miserable people on planet earth die with a fortune left behind. Now, none of us will ever be like the fictional character in the, the novel, the Testament, but we are tempted to desire things we can't afford to pay for, so we borrow money that we can't afford to borrow to buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like, and they're not impressed anyway. 
They may be jealous, but they're not impressed. What did the Apostle Paul say to Timothy? Paul said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Having food and clothing therewith, let us be content. So, either it's true or it's not. Either we believe the Bible or we don't. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Having food and clothing, let us be content. The, the Bible says if we have a relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have clothes on our back, and we have food in our stomach for today, and that's all we have, if we need more than that to be content, something's just not right in our walk with the Lord. Now, I preached that text for, for years and years and years, but it was only after I first went to Africa about 30 years ago when I was out in the bush in East Africa and I met brothers and sisters in Christ and literally that's about all they had. They lived in a, a what you'd see on a National Geographic special, the little round house made out of mud and cow dung with a grass roof over it and a dirt floor. And they maybe had one change of clothes and for, and for breakfast they had ugali and for lunch they had ugali and for dinner they had ugali. Think ugali is like grits about three days old. And occasionally maybe uh, a chicken. I mean, they, didn't, they had very little. No running water. You want to get, if you want water, you walk several miles to the river with a jug, brought it back. No electricity, no automobile. But I'd go in those villages and I'd pray with those brothers and sisters who had been delivered from strong drink delivered from demonism and animism and sing the great songs of the faith with them and saw the joy of the Lord on their faces because they had Jesus. Do we understand that Jesus is all we need? Don't listen to the siren song of the enemy dressed up by the Madison Avenue advertisers telling you, you've got to have this and this and that and that to be happy. You don't. If you've got Jesus and you've got food and you've got clothes, that's Bible. Let me tell you what success is. Success is finding and doing the will of God. That's all. Not, tr not trying to impress people with how much you have accumulated. Just finding and doing the will of God. So I've talked to you about a solemn morning. And I've talked to you about a life-giving principle. Now third, I want you to think with me about a timeless parable. A timeless parable. And in this timeless parable, in verses 16 through 21, we learn that surplus is not for storing, but for sharing. When God gives us surplus, you say, I don't have any surplus. Well, I don't mean to be unkind, but you do. You do. 
we may not have as much surplus as Bill Gates or Tim Cook or some Hollywood movie star or some Fortune 500 CEO. But we are an affluent people. We have hot and cold running waters in our house. Do you ever marvel when you flush the toilet? You know there are multitudes of people on this earth that go to an outhouse to this very day. Give thanks to God if your toilet flushes. All right, here's the timeless parable. Let's begin in verse 16. And he, that's Jesus, told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Well, he, had a, he had a good problem. He had a bountiful harvest. Whatever the size of his barns were, they weren't big enough. He, his silos weren't big enough to store it all. And, and so he, he says to himself, I've got a dilemma here. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, there you have it. Um, if, you, if you look at this parable carefully, you'll notice that... Uh, the rich man in this parable that Jesus told was all wrapped up in himself. Uh, look again in verse 17. This, then he said, this is what I'll do. See that personal pronoun there? I will do. The next, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store all my grains and my goods and I'll say to myself all about me just looking out for me I'll say to myself you have plenty of good things laid up for many years he was assuming he was going to have many years And so his, his thought was, this is what I'll do. I'll just store this up for myself. And then this is what I'm going to do with the time I have left on planet Earth. Whatever time that is, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus had one thing to say to him. Fool. Now, your text may read like my text where God said, you fool, but the U is added. In the Greek text of the New Testament, it's just fool. In this parable, Jesus called this man who was looking out for himself a fool. And he was a fool because God said to him in verse 20, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for, you, for yourself? 
The man in this parable was living for himself. He was living for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years perhaps. When he should have been thinking about 10,000 years or 20,000 years or 30,000 years or 100,000 years, should have been thinking about eternity. And how could he, how could he maximize his bountiful surplus crop to help others in need? short-sighted. Verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. So we have, an, we have a choice to make as affluent American Christians as to how we're going to use the, the material wealth that's been given to us. Ken Hughes said, and I quote, we can enlarge our savings and build huge accounts to hold it all. We can plan our retirement so we will have nothing to do but change positions in the sun. We can plan our menus for the twilight year so that nothing but the finest cuisine crosses our lips. We can live as if this is all of life. We can laugh our way to the grave only to discover, he says, that the end we have nothing that are in God's eyes fools. Or, he says, we can be rich toward God because we gave and gave and gave. And so we should be rich toward God. That's what Jesus said. So does God have a word for us about uh, the wealth that we have as uh, American Christians? Indeed he does, uh, beyond what we've just looked at. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. Uh, I, I believe this is a, wor a word that's just very apropos to those of us in this room. Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. There it is. The, the affluence that we have is not because of anything we are, but because of the grace of God toward us. Because I assure you, if you lived in Somalia or North Korea, or many other countries I could name, you would be at a subsistence level. Then look in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11. Deuteronomy 15, starting with verse 7. As we think about the poor, if there's a poor man among you, among your brothers, in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God has given you, this is they're going in to possess the promise, the land of promise, the land of Canaan. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed. That, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill 
toward your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you and you'll be found guilty of sin. I don't have time to unpack that. Verse 10, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Apostle Paul picked up on this when he wrote the, the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. And then one more in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, 18. 18 and 19. These three verses have uh, uh, Lakeview Baptist Church written all over it. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. There it is. We are to be generous and willing to share of our financial resources. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's all a matter of perspective. If you have a temporal perspective, then you're going to be like the man in the parable or like the man in the John Grisham novel. But if you have an eternal perspective, if you see with the eyes of faith the clear teaching of Scripture regarding that the things of this world are perishing, and the only thing that we have for eternity is that which we invest in the Word of God and in the souls of men, and everything else is going to be gone, then we're in a position to be generous and willing to share. We are laying up treasure in heaven. Look at this in verse 19. Lay up treasure for themselves. Did not Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Ben Franklin said, money has never made a man happy, nor will it. There's nothing in it, in its nature, to produce happiness. The more of it one has, the more he wants. And the way to, to break this stronghold of greed that grips so many of our hearts is to be generous and willing to share. And it starts with the tithe. Some of you need to go, get to the tithe. God has blessed you, and you're still giving a pittance to God. You're losing eternal reward. You got plenty of money. But the others of you, you've been tithing for decades, but God help you if you had 11%, you'd feel like you'd in a recession or something. I got to keep it at 10%. Now, for some of you who are just starting out in life and you're, you got a mortgage and you got kids to educate and send to college and put braces on their teeth, a tithe is a challenge, but God promises to bless those who tithe. He promises to throw open the floodgates of heaven and give you so much blessing you won't have room enough for it. But for some who are in my season of life, you can give a lot more than a tithe. You can give a double tithe or a triple tithe, some of you more. 
He's still giving a tithe. When you just got it piled up somewhere in your stock portfolio, and you're going to lose it when you die. You can have it forever if you'll send it ahead. So where will I get? Well, you give your tithe to the to your church. So I I don't like the way things are going at the church. I I don't give my give it somewhere, but give it. Be mad, but give it. (laughs) And this will be my last time as your pastor to ever appeal to you to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for International Missions. You'll be getting a letter in a few weeks from Pastor Brian about the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. I don't know any place you could give where your money would be better spent than there. To keep on the field, 3,700 God-called Southern Baptist missionaries. And according to what I read, 91% of them are in the hardest unreached places in the world to get. We're not going to the easy fields anymore. We're going to the difficult places. And a lot of those are Lakeview people. It's not too early for all of us to begin praying about what the Lord would have us to trust him for to give this year this Christmas season to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. Many of you could give a week's salary and never miss it. Never miss it. Some of you spend far, far more for yourself and your families for toys at Christmas. I'm not just talking about children's toys. I'm talking about adult toys and a pittance to win the world to Jesus. Now, I haven't said that. This is a generous church. There, there are people here that give extraordinary amounts of money to the Lord. I'm amazed. Some people live so frugally and give so generously. Thank God for them. But there's so much more that could be done. So much more. But only you can do it. So there you have it. The tragedy of a rich fool. He lived for the here and now and lost it all. We're to live for eternity. And when we do, we have it forever. But I tell you, you can't buy your way into heaven. You give a tithe, double tithe, triple tithe. You can give half your income, 90% of your income and live on 10% and go straight to hell if you don't repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in the sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. We can't, we can't uh, purchase our salvation. It's been purchased for us. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, he, he, he purchased our eternal salvation and we'll repent it of our sins and put our faith and trust in him. And uh, in a moment, our pastors will be here across the front our musicians are going to come prepare to lead us in our song of invitation and decision. Somebody you that needs to know Christ, you can experience today the life that is truly life when you, when you see that the real treasure is Jesus. And Jesus stands at the door of your heart. Revelation 3.20, he said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Here's the promise of Jesus. 
I will come in. He's either in your life or he's not. He's not going to kick the door down and force himself on you. But he pleads and says, I come. I've come to, to purchase your salvation. If you'll come to me, you can be saved. We stand and sing, come while we sing together. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.